And now, ladies and gentlemen, time for the show. All right. I'm here. I've got my popcorn. I'm at my local movie theater, my community-run movie theater. And I'm very excited to see my movie. I'm going to hit pause here for a second because I love this moment. It's a few seconds before the movie starts and the whole theater is going quiet except for the crinkling popcorn and candy bags. And there is just this promise, this suspense that hangs in the air. It's just not something that happens when you watch movies in your living room. I'm Dylan Thuris and this is Atlas Obscura. Today, grab your popcorn, silence your cell phone, and settle in. Because this is going to be a celebration of going to the movies. Rico Galliano, the host of the Mubi podcast, that's Mubi, M-U-B-I, is going to take us to see a movie in Minneapolis, my hometown. It is a movie that flopped truly terribly when it was released, but still managed to change the course of movie history. More after this. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Rico Galliano is what you would call a cinephile. His first job as a teenager was at a movie theater in Pittsburgh. He studied film in college and has an MFA in screenwriting. He hosts a podcast for the indie streaming site Mubi. But just to make sure he knows what he's talking about, I asked him the quintessential movie question. What are your theater snack choices? Uh, Twizzlers, not yeah. Red Vines. Yeah, Twizzlers all the way. Right? Like, who? what are you talking about? Like, Red Vines, you bite into them, they feel like you're shredding a straw in your mouth, a plastic Does someone, straw. Do people choose Red Vines over Twizzlers? Yeah, and the, on the West Coast, I feel like, and what? I've lived here for a long time, well, yeah, between the two of them, for sure, Red Vines are the way to go. And I'm like, you guys are nuts. Rico, like me, has loved going to the movies ever since he was a kid. But this beloved ritual is 
Potentially in jeopardy. As you probably already know, a lot of theaters have closed in recent years. The National Association of Theater Owners said at least 500 have shut down since the start of the pandemic. And Cineworld, the company that owns the second largest chain of theaters in the U.S., just filed for bankruptcy. Something Rico explores in his show is what we lose when these places disappear. And today, he's going to tell us one of those stories about a theater in a suburb of Minneapolis called the Westgate. And how it accidentally stumbled into the creation of cult classic cinema. The Westgate Theater opened in, I believe, the 1930s. And the thing that I love about the Westgate and why I love this story is that I don't think it was ever a big deal until the story that we're going to tell you today. I grew up in Minneapolis going to a theater that was in some ways very similar to the Westgate. It was built in the 1930s, it had one screen, and it was a second-run theater, meaning not the kind of place you'd go see a movie premiere. Instead, it was where you would go to see a movie that the major theaters had stopped showing weeks ago. In the Westgate's case, the movies might be even older than that, because the Westgate was getting them after other second-run theaters had already shown them. So you've got this theater that is like kind of nobody and is not, has not, like we had a guy who worked as an assistant manager there who says it didn't do very well for the first 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> like it was just a 40-year business that never made that much money. I never went to the Westgate when I lived in Minneapolis. It closed before I was even born. But I can imagine what it was like to watch a movie there. This little theater, informal, cheap. You're watching movies that have been out for months. But there's a sense of fun and community. It's the kind of movie house that might play the Rocky Horror Picture Show and everyone acts along. Except that didn't really exist yet. Cult cinema wasn't really a thing. But in the late 60s and early 70s, the Westgate was already leaning into that energy. It had started experimenting with playing lesser-known, sort of offbeat movies for weeks at a time instead of trying to rotate to newer stuff. And in 1971, the universe delivered the Westgate a gift. It was, hmm, how do I put this? A movie with a truly original concept. What is your name? Harold. Harold Chasen. Oh, how do you do? I'm Dame Marjorie Chardin, but you may call me Maud. How do you do? Nice to meet you. Well, thank you. I think we're going to be great friends, don't you? In fact, on paper, it looks insane. It's about a, a 20-year-old who uh, is so not into life that he's like way into death. He meets an 80-something-year-old uh, named Maud who he falls in love with. They end up having a sexual relationship and then she, should I give it, should I spoiler alert it? Yeah, let's uh, it's been out for, uh, for 50 years or whatever. Yeah, I think we can probably, we'll let everyone know. Spoiler, if you haven't seen okay. Harold and Maude, stop You're listening. Right. An, yeah. She uh, commits suicide. Hmm. And yet somehow this is a, a, a happy ending. Harold like ends up feeling reinvigorated by the, by the relationship. Not on paper, and easy, like it's dealing with death and like a May December romance, suicide. Like, what are you talking about? And it's P.S. It's a comedy. Harold and Maude, 
It came out in theaters in December 71, which is when you release a movie if you want it to win an Oscar. And the producers at Paramount had high hopes for Harold and Maude. It did really well with test audiences at previews. But when this movie premiered for real, far from the fancy theaters of New York and L.A., it was an absolute flop. Variety says that it's as funny, quote, as a burning orphanage. And nobody goes to see this movie. But now you've got the Westgate, which I believe intentionally is like, aha, perfect. We'll sweep in because we have the audience for this. Mm. And people at this point know that this is the theater that you go to for this kind of movie. If the Westgate is showing it, it must have some interest. Yeah. So they show it and it begins a run that is insane. That 114 weeks it beats the record for the <laughs> longest running film in the history of Minnesota, the entire state, which previously was the sound of music that keeps playing even beyond the 114th week. It just keeps going. They ran it for more than two years. Yes. They yeah. just like, so like, what is that? Like each, a few times a week, they're just, they just play Harold and Maude again and some people would show up and- No, it's every day. I think three times a day. And I'm sure it wasn't sold out every single time, but it was sold out. I mean, I, they did enough business that it made sense to keep it there. And people just kept coming and coming and coming. And then it also starts to build where local media, and I think maybe even a little national media, start going, what is going on with this? And other people, other places in the country apparently catch on. Detroit starts playing it. It runs there for like 72 weeks. And it starts to become a phenomenon in a lot of little theaters around the country. In the early 1970s, with Harold and Maude, the Westgate had stumbled onto something that we take for granted today. A kind of movie that functions in a way that is totally different from your standard blockbuster. There's a point where you're not there for the movie, you're there because it's there. You, it's a ritual for you. It's yeah. just like, and this is one of the reasons why I think theaters are so important is that they're kind of secular churches at a certain point. There are a lot of movies, I think cult movies in general will function this way, is that it, it's a ritual to your life. You're going with like-minded people to hear about this text and find meaning in it and find community in it and find culture in it. I mean, we had a screening of this movie, Harold and Maude, in L.A., and as I was walking out of the theater, as the lights were going down, this guy grabbed me and said, my mother and father met on a date to see Harold and Maude at the Westgate. That's why I'm here. Like, literally, this guy wouldn't have existed <laughs> if there hadn't been <laughs> this thing going on in the Westgate. Like, that, that is community. In 1974, the Westgate celebrated two years of showing Harold and Maude. And only Harold and Maude. Ruth Gordon, who plays Maude in the movie, came to celebrate there. And there was a huge crowd outside the theater. But among the people gathered outside is a crew of locals who are standing there with picket signs. And they were picketing the theater because they had been showing the movie for so long. And they were just like really <laughs> sick of Harold and Maude showing for two years. And the signs say things like, why must the show go on and on and on? 
you know, we want variety, things like that. And eventually yeah. <laughs> they got their wish. The, you know, the movie, not too long after that second anniversary is my understanding. It like kind of lost its, its uh, charge. And the, and the Westgate tried to duplicate it. They went with a bunch of other movies that people may have heard of that are also kind of minor quirky comedy hits at the time. But none of them did that well. And eventually, after a while, I mean, I think it took several years, but eventually multiplexes came in and the theater closed down. It was turned into a um, dry cleaners. And since then, the building's been raised. And I think they're building uh, housing there, if they haven't already. The world of movie theaters is changing a lot. Is this like a dying... Uh, species that we're talking about here, the like indie theater showing the great cult film. I, I mean, I I feel more worried about uh, theaters that will show new movies. Yeah, I think that there is an, a real interest in uh, like the history of cinema and seeing it in its original form. I think the thing I'm more worried about is new movies. It's not as easy for them to find an audience. That's what I'm worried. I'm worried about like the next generation of uh, of cult hits. I guess yeah. not the old ones. Yeah, I, I, I think I think that's right. I do think, though, that those local theaters can, like an indie bookstore, like everyone was kind of like, oh, all the bookstores are going to go out of business. And like some of the, the, a lot of the big chains did go out of business. But the little bookstores where you went there because you like chatted with the person behind the counter and you mm. knew them and you liked their recommendations. I think the same thing uh, applies for your local movie theater, that the more it sort of is built around the community and the love of kind of going and having a, an experience with your neighbor and seeing something great together, whether it's new or, or a, a cult classic, I think that there's still, there's still room for, for that. I hope so. What a movie theater is really doing is creating this, it's like a liminal space where you are being transported by the movie into another world, but you're dimly aware that there's another world around you and that there are people around you and you're being transported together and you're in this between space of a community and a complete other world. And like the theaters that for whatever reason are able to create that space, I think are that are really excellent at creating that space, like that this kind of ephemeral transporting place, those are the ones that are really amazing and, and they can be anywhere and they can be any size and they can look like anything thank you to rico galliano for taking the time to chat with me if you want to hear more stories about movie theaters like this one go check out the movie podcast that's m-u-b-i podcast by the way i was home a few weeks ago in minneapolis and i talked to my grandmother who is 84 years old now and i asked her if she'd ever heard of a theater called the westgate and she said Oh, yeah. I saw the funniest movie there once. And I was smiling and I said, Is it, was it Harold and Maude? And she said, Oh my God, that's the one. What a delight. And if you're ever in Rosendale, New York, go visit my local theater, the Rosendale Theater, run by volunteers. It's awesome. All right, go see a movie. Talk to you next time. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. 
This episode was produced by Sarah Wyman. It was edited by Gianna Palmer. Special thanks to Gabby Gladney. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Casey Holford. This episode was sound designed and mixed by Luce Fleming. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now playing in Los Angeles. Exquisite food and drink. World-class art everywhere. Spectacular sports and dazzling Hollywood attractions. L.A. offers the full variety of food scene, from game-changing taco trucks to 35 Michelin stars. And did you know that Los Angeles has more museums and theaters than New York? It is indeed scandalous, but also unfortunately true. So get your fix in music, film, comedy, or world-class museums in L.A. Plus, you can get a behind-the-scenes movie magic with a world-famous studio tour. That is something that should be on everybody's bucket list. Start here with discoverla.com.